Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Today I want to talk about Psalm 71. Psalm 71 is a psalm asking God, calling God for help. And then as he calls out to God for help, he recalls all the days of his younger life, all his days, all the days of his youth, and how God from the days, from the time of his youth, had cared for him, had taught him, had led him through to the end that even as he faced difficulties in his old age, he was confident that God would come for him. But this psalm tells us some great truth. That life is not always a bit of roses. In fact, there are so many difficult times in his life, in our lives. As you read this psalm, you will discover that the psalmist talks about ups and downs, pleading with God not to leave him in his old age. And yet, as he looks back at his life, he is confident that God will not desert him. So let's look at the whole of Psalm 71. Let's read it together, and then I shall highlight some passages to talk about it. Let us pray. Father, indeed you are a faithful God, a good God. We pray then that even as we meditate on this psalm, that you will speak to us these truths, that you are a good God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 71 In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, Sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him, pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, Sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Even when I am old and grey, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, Lord? Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth you will again bring me up. You will increase my honour and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. 
for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that this psalm highlights, this psalm highlights, is that he is going through a very difficult time. In verse 20, he says, Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, but there is hope. You will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. Now I want to look at, to focus on this, that life is not always smooth sailing every step of the way. There will be many times in our lives when terrible things happen to us. Two days ago, on Sunday afternoon, I conducted the funeral of a very dear loved one in our church. I remember we had prayed for her for two years, seen her go up and down. We had pleaded with God. It was just not just a few of us, it was the church, her, organize, her husband's organization, the friends, everyone pleading with God. And we saw hope, we saw healing towards the end of last year. She was improving and she was beginning to see friends again and believing that she would be healed. And then it took a turn for the worse. Her condition worsened a bit and a bit and a bit. And then the doctors told her that they were stopping treatment and yet we continued praying. We couldn't see her but we could imagine the pain, the trauma that she was going through. When at the funeral I looked at her emaciated body, I realised how much she would have suffered. And her children and husband spoke about how brave she was. What was really a paradox was when they talked about her favourite song and we sang that at her funeral at her husband's request. The song was The Goodness of God. And part of the song says, Your goodness keeps running after, running after me. What an irony that she was going through the worst times of her life. She was losing her health day by day and becoming more and more certain that she would die. She would never recover from that. And yet the song that held, gave her hope was this, that your goodness keeps running after, running after me. I was, I'll, I'm celebrating, I'll, I'll be 60 today. And as I look back at my life, I realise that so often the worst times of my life were also the best times of my life on hindsight. Often I've told younger people that the reason why I still am a Christian, the reason why I still trust God so much, is that I have the advantage of age. That often, as we go through difficult times, we see a snapshot of the difficult time and it's painful. But as we look at the difficult time from beginning to end, as we look at our lives from beginning to end, we discover that the difficult times actually become beautiful times, times when God was present, times when God blessed us richly. Just as the psalmist says that, his, that in verse 17, since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. I realised then that God was teaching us, God was teaching me important lessons. And I needed that time, that stretch of time in my life before I could look back and say, actually, these were the best times. These were the times that God taught me beautiful lessons. And it's true for all of you too. 
for some, especially those who are older, you have had you have the advantage of age and longevity that you can see something that may have not been so pleasant 20 years ago. And as you look at it today, you realize that things have turned out very differently. You discover that you've been stronger, that you've learned much, that what were bad things became blessings, as they say, they're blessings in disguise. I like to give three examples from my life. I thought then that at 60, I needed to take stock of my life again and look at some of the difficult times that I went through that turned out really good. The first I might say would that I want to relate, of course there are many more, the first I want to relate was time in NS, National Service. I was an A-level student, I had already secured a place in the university in law school, but I was placed among the cleaners, the worst of the soldiers. I was left in a bunk to sleep with them. My office was right next to theirs. My constant companions were the mechanics and what they call the GD, uh, GD soldiers, or so general duty soldiers. These were the sweepers, the ones who cleaned the drains, who cleared the rubbish. They were the ones who had the least education, but more than that, they were riffraff. And I'd never seen such low life before. I mean, just an example, one of them was my patient who had venereal disease and I had to clean up his private parts every day. And he would just smirk and laugh at me each time I cleaned him up, as though he couldn't do it, but it was doctor's orders that I, being a medic, would have to do that. Another one made it his, uh, his treat every few months to save up to go to Thailand where prostitutes were cheaper. And that was all that he ever thought of as his future, as the future of his life. There were others who were vulgar and crude and was a group of real riffraff. And I struggled very much because I came from a very refined home upbringing, came from good English-speaking family and uh, reputable school and Culturally, we were worlds apart. And I despised these people whom I stayed with. But one day as I was uh, on guard duty, my detail was from 2 to 4. And one of the worst of the guys was doing duty from 12 to 2. He was the one whom I had to clean up, uh, who had venereal disease, and I had to clean up all every day. And I didn't like him at all. But his duty and his duty that night was from 12 to 2, together with another partner. And at about 1.45, I heard him come back. And you know, one of the tactics of these soldiers was they would make a lot of noise as they walked in so they didn't have to wake us up. Actually, they would just wake us up with all the noise. And at 1.45, I heard him and his partner walk in, talking loudly, shuffling their feet. I knew it was deliberate to just wake us up first. And I said to myself in my mind, if this guy even comes to wake me up five minutes before my time, I'm going to just scream and shout at him and give him a piece of my mind. And I waited for that moment of tongue lashing. And then, true enough, he came about um, 1.55. But he took a look at me and then he turned to his partner and he said, Chiu looks really tired. 
I will just cover his duty for him. He then quietly left with his new partner and they took my detail and allowed me to sleep through to the morning. I had never expected something like this. Grace from a man whom I despised, grace from a man whom I thought had no morals at all. And it changed the way I saw them after that. That a man who I thought would be dishonest, would be there to bully me, showed me so much grace because he saw that I was tired. Ever since then, I didn't regret having been put in this group of riffraff. Of course, I still didn't fit in. And there were lots of crazy stories of what a nerd I was. I mean, one time they invited me to a dance. And uh, it was the first time I went to a dance hall and danced. And I picked up the courage to approach this girl. I think she was probably in her late teens. Um, late teens. And I asked her to dance with me. And she looked at me and said, uh, Boy, you said what? Huh? And then she turned away. Um, oh, that was a little funny and humiliating, but but I began to appreciate these people who surrounded me. Second story that I encountered, which was major failure in my life, was when I graduated bottom in class in law school. And I had had such high hopes when I entered law school. I thought that I would be a great lawyer. Um, first class honours and all that, I ended up with a third class and it was impossible to find a job. It was even impossible to find a mentor, uh, uh, someone who would uh, do my, uh, be my pupil master as they call it. And so I had all the freedom to wander through the courts uh, however I wished and no one would bother me. And one day I went to court and I saw a murder case. Um, this man, this laborer, Indian immigrant, migrant Im uh, laborer had killed his roommate. His roommate was known to be a very harsh, cruel man. In fact, he was the murderer's uh, supervisor at work. And from morning to night, he would abuse the one accused of murder. One day, as the accused woke up and heard the deceased cursing his mother, the accused could stand it no longer, took a, a rope and strangled the deceased. He then went out, the accused then went out for a drink, for a few drinks, met a friend, had a chat, cooled down. He came back about three hours later. When he came back, he saw that the deceased was still alive and struggling to remove the rope from his neck. The accused then went and tightened the rope and killed the deceased then. The accused Defense was grave and sudden provocation. Usually, um, that might have worked because everyone knew that the deceased was a horrible man and they sympathized with the accused. Problem was that that defense would not have worked because the accused had gone out for three hours and calmed down, come back to kill to finish the job. Prosecution didn't know any of that because they didn't have the technology to to determine how long the accused had, had gone out. In fact, the accused didn't even have to say he went out. He could just have said, oh, I strangled him once in my rage. And he, he would have succeeded in his defense. But on the dock that day, 
He stood up and told the story as it was every bit of it, the truth of it. In fact, his lawyer was jumping up and down trying to stop him from testifying. It was a rather bizarre sight because here was the accused conducting his own prosecution. At the, interv at the break, I saw a man carrying a Bible waving to the accused and I approached that man and said, Hey, you know this guy? What's he doing? Why is he conducting his own prosecution? I mean, he should be telling a story that is consistent with his defense and to save his life. Why is he out there just telling everything and incriminating himself? This man then said, oh, I am his counsellor, his Christian counsellor. And he related that the accused had become a Christian uh, while um, on remand. And that just before his trial, just before he went up the dock, he told his counsellor, I have experienced so much of the love of Jesus that I cannot dishonour him by telling a lie. And with that, he risked his whole life, his whole defence, by going to court and telling the story as it really happened. I mean, this really blew my mind because I'd never seen honesty like that. I would have easily, quickly saved, told a lie to save my, told a lie to save my life. In fact, I often joked. We often joked that uh, telling lies was a tool of our trade as lawyers. But here was a man who chose to risk his life to tell the truth. Miraculously, too, the judge accepted his defence and he was released a few days after the trial. But what really struck me was what God was doing in prison, that God would touch a man so deeply that he would not even lie to save his life. That changed the whole course of my life because that caused me to find a way of going to prison. I couldn't go there, and, but I had a Sunday school teacher, Christina uh, Gui, who ran a halfway house called The Hiding Place. Incidentally, she died the same day that uh, our church member, Serene, passed away. But she then took me in as a volunteer. And as a volunteer, I ended up working, living with them for half a year as an intern. But those were the formative years of the ministry that God had called me to. What I thought was dismal failure of my career turned out to be a way that God would shift the rest of my life and make my life a different one from what I had planned. But God is not done with me. Throughout those years, I had many more failures. I had many more unfavorable events that turned out to be great blessings from God. And one, was, one of them was politics in prison fellowship. I worked very well with the prisoners and the prison officers, but within our organisation, as with many organisations, there was a lot of politics. And along the way, I was uh, roughly booted out of the organisation. But God had planned it such that even as I was booted out of the organisation, I had a very soft landing in Barker Road. Barker Road was a church that was known for all its wealth and I often thought about how God favoured the poor and despised or was angry or was contemptuous of the rich. But as I served there for nine years, six of which I was PIC, I began to see a different side of the rich. And I began to see also how God loved the rich as he loved the poor. 
But many of the rich also had hearts that were so tender towards God that longed to do the will of God. Help me to see another side of life that God wanted to reconcile, to bring together the rich and the poor, to allow the rich to see how they could reach the poor, and to allow us, allow me to see that the hearts of the rich were actually very tender as well. Taught me important lessons about not judging people by what they had, not judging people by just by appearances. It also allowed me to see how much God longs for both the riffraff of this world as well as the mighty and the powerful and the rich of this world. And it gave me hope that God loves people and that day by day God will transform each of us in our different stations in life, teaching us how to love Him, to love one another. There was there were people often say that they saw no fruits in the church among the people that I served. And yet, as I got to know them more and more deeply, I would argue that even if there were no fruit, there were many, many buds. I could see among the people in Barker Road that I served that there were many buds, many who were beginning to turn to God, many who were, whose hearts were being drawn to God, who were sincere about following Him. Today, as I serve in Agape, I also see the same. What God has taught me through these incidents, these events, both of the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor, is that He never ever judged them by appearances. But we have hope. We have hope that God is working in each of our lives. As I look back at my 60 years and the many, many events of my life, the many, many failures of my life, I realize that God has been faithful and God has been good. And so I have great confidence in the next lap of my life. I don't know what it will be like, but I have had the advantage of age, of hindsight, to see that God never fails. And so like the psalmist, I am able to see, say that I have tasted goodness of God, and therefore I am confident of the future. I encourage each of you also to look at your lives and how God has been faithful in the past, because it is seeing God's faithfulness in the past that gives us confidence for the future. Faith doesn't just come like that. Faith doesn't come on demand by us or by God. It comes as it is built up, as we taste the goodness of God. And more and more, we begin to trust God who has been good to us. Let us pray. Father, indeed, you have been a good God. But we pray, Lord, that you will jolt our memories. You allow us to see and to remember your goodness throughout our lives. You cause us also to remember, to realize that through the many, many trials that we have experienced and encountered, that these were the trials. These were the times when you taught us important lessons. These were the blessings in our lives that each of us may enter the next phase of our lives 
with confidence because we have tasted your goodness. Open our eyes to see, open our minds to remember. As we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in and have a good have a good week. God bless you. Goodbye.